This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and our guest on the show today, Osman Samayudin, Senior Editor of ESPN Crick Info. A pretty big week for you, news-breaking-wise. The mooted but not yet past redistribution of finances at the ICC. I guess to start, why don't you give us an outline of the story itself? Uh, yeah, basically, you know, it, it's something that we were aware that they'd been working on, the ICC would have been working on since the... The ICC rights deals happened, like, and it's deals rather than just the deal because, you know, they've gone territory by territory. But it's, it's been something that we've been chasing up for a while. And we knew that they were going to build towards it, uh, in time for the annual conference, um, in July in Durban. And yeah, it, you know, it, it came out and it wasn't like entirely a surprise. I mean, I, I had done a piece last year in which I had, which I had kind of, I, I'm not going to say I predicted, but I, I, but I argued that, because the ICC was breaking up its rights selling process by going region by region, mm. by going to India separately to the rest of the world, the BCCI would use that money to justify, you know, that anecdotal thing that they've always had that, you know, we contribute to 80, 90% of the game. That's where the money comes from. And so that money should be ours, which is, of course, BS. But, you know, uh, I, I kind of figured that that's how they would go. And that's exactly what's happened. So, you know, they've, they've, they've looked at the money that they're getting and the BCCI now has share of nearly 40% from the next ICC model. And it's not final yet. I think there'll be a little bit of haggling, but it's not going to be anything like there was, say, in 2014 or even 2017 um, with the rollback of the mm. big three plan. So I think, you know, they, they'll probably end up near about where they are right now. I don't think it's going to be lower. And the rest of the countries, I think they're probably going to be fairly happy with just the amount of money they're getting, to be fair, to be honest. Is it likely to be because the, the overall pot has increased by so much because the rights deals have gone up. You can mollify the other 11 countries, the other full member countries who have the sway in theory. I mean, traditionally it's always been that India have been able to influence at least enough of the other voting Mm. countries with promises of tours and things like that. Why would the other countries go along with it uh, in this instance or, or what, what if any, leverage could they have to try to renegotiate any part of this? You know, I, I think you're right. Like from the from the boards that I've spoken to, and, and certainly not all of them, but, you know, from a, from a handful of the boards that I've spoken to, got, you know, boards that were dissenters the last time round, it feels like the line is, you know, yes, we'll object and we won't let it go through like this, but we are getting a lot more money than last time. And so, you know, just a, a big picture thing is that, so so the rights deal, the amount they're expecting the ICC over four years from all their territories, we're guessing is going to end up around $3.3, $3.4 billion for four years. And that's just for like the broadcast money. So, you know, there's commercial money to be made afterwards on top. Now, I think if I worked this out correctly, if you compared it to what they ended up with last time of over an eight-year deal, this is almost three times as much money in the pot overall compared to last right. time. So yeah, so I think last time there were like 2.1 billion is what they ended at over eight years. And they're looking now at like, you know, 3.4 plus more commercial and sponsorship money over four years, sorry, as opposed to eight years last time. So, you know, there's that much money. Right. Most of the boards, if we look at kind of the values, I was looking at the annual values and comparing them to the 2017 model, which is the last time they did the financial model. So I think I'm just scanning through. So Australia this year, this time now, will get about 37.5 million per year. And the last time around, they were getting 16 million. So, you know, it, it's it's over double. Mm-hmm. 
most of the boards are getting over double. Pakistan's getting over double. New Zealand is. The ECB is getting over a double of what they were getting last time. So I think, you know, because they're getting, in absolute terms, money that they had not imagined until the right deals went through, most of them are going to be like, well, you know, we're kind of okay with that. You know, bearing in mind that outside of the ECB and Cricket Australia and the BCCI, a lot of the smaller boards are struggling with their own broadcast deals now. You know, like the the value in mm. their bilateral broadcast deals. Like Pakistan have had a terrible deal. Uh, I don't think Cricket West Indies have had a great deal. Sri Lanka have struggled to sign deals. So, you know, they're looking at this ICC money even more. And I, I feel like it's put them in a more desperate kind of place to just say yes. Um, and, and whereas last time, I think India could garner that influence by saying that, look, we'll give you a tour if you agree to this deal. I don't think bilateral like tours, even by India, are worth that much anymore. So, you know, these boards are either looking to set up their own T20 leagues and make money off of that, like the PCB has done, like the Cricket West Indies have done, or they're looking to get just get more money from the ICC wherever they can and kind of make a living that way. It's interesting that, I mean, the rationale that they brought into it is very similar, very reminiscent of the big three rationale some years ago, um, where... Australia, England and India came in and said we should carve up the money so that most of it goes to us. This is, you know, the, if if Australia and England were the henchmen in the previous situation, they're not required anymore. They've been dispensed with under this formulation. So India's proposal would be India would get 38.5%, mm. the ECB would be 7%, CA would be 6%. So collectively, Australia and England would get less, well, a third of what India would get in total. Um, it's interesting that they're no longer required to try to bring the argument forcefully that um, India deserves the lion's share. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I can't stress enough, I really feel like the way the ICC have sold this deal, and, you know, I guess they had to because they want to make as much money as they can, right? So they followed that IPL model by breaking it down into territories and, and going linear and digital separately. I think the way they've broken it down and going to the India market was always going to set this up because, you know, that just meant India can sit back now and say, or the BCCI, sorry, I should say, can sit back and say, look, out of your 3.4 billion that you're going to get, 3.125 billion came from the India market. You know, that's like 90% or whatever. So we could ask you for 90% of that money, but we're just being magnanimous and saying, hey, give us 38.5% of the deal. <laughs> um, so, they, you know, they, they, because, because it's there in black and white now, it's kind of more difficult to argue against for a lot of these boards. Although, you know, the, the, the fallacy in this logic has always been that the BCCI has nothing to do with the Indian economy. They have nothing to do with the Indian population yep. and the Indian market being as big as it is. They just happen to be there. And if anything, you know, as Atherton argued, Mike Atherton argued in his really good piece on, uh, I think over the weekend about this, he said that, you know, countries like Australia, England and India, because they have big markets, big cricket markets and well-established ones, that should actually lead to the thinking that they should take lesser money from the ICC because their markets mm. are actually giving them the money that they need. It's the other markets that are struggling and they should be getting more money from the ICC. But, you know, the, the way cricket has always worked, as you know, and, and the way cricket is going to continue to work is that the people who don't need the money are the ones who are going to get it the most. It's kind of like life, I think. Well, it's a, ra it's a radical proposition <laughs> that maybe wealthy people don't need as most of the money and that maybe people with less money need more of it. Crazy, <laughs> crazy sort of idea that we'll, that we'll never get anywhere in the world that we live in. But they have used some of this old sort of big three maths in a way with this. Tell us a bit about this system they've used to try to they've, – they've got weightings for different countries that say you have been around for this mm. long, you've been a member for this period of time. And, I mean, the part of it – 
factoring in success at previous tournaments is the most perverse part of it to my thinking in that the richer boards who already have more money are likely to have been more successful in tournaments because they are probably going to have stronger teams and because they host all of the tournaments and they make the money from hosting the tournaments as well with the ticket sales and all the rest of the the extra revenue that can be made. So on the basis of having had more success on the field, you then get more of the allocation of funding as you go forward through the next cycle. Exactly. It's a, it's a great system, right? Like so, so 10 years ago, the big three kind of carved up all ICC tournaments for themselves you know, the, the, the last three World Cups, we've had them in India, then Australia and New Zealand, and then England, and now India again. And oh, oh look, look, surprise, we've had like three winners, home winners in, in those three tournaments. And now we're going to judge success at ICC events based on those tournaments, which is like, hey, how did you manage to rig the system? It's, you know, Atherton was saying that it's cute how they've done it because, you know, they've said, oh, yes, past performances and this is how we judge them. And hey, look, we've won these tournaments. So, you know, that, that one of the criteria is ICC performances. And we've just discussed how, like, that's not the greatest criteria. But the other ones are, there's a bit of disingenuity in this because one of them is, I think, history as an ICC member. And so, the last time they made this model in 2017, the ICC made a big deal about how they had reduced the BCCI's share because Shashank Manohar was in charge of the ICC and they were battling for like some kind of sense of equity and equality in the shares. And I think what they've done this time is by giving everyone the same percentage for being a full member, which is like mm. the worst close club in the world, but you know, they've given everyone 8.9%. I think that's their kind of little little morsel of saying that, oh, look, we are equitable because we've given everyone the same percentage for being a full member. And it's like, oh, okay, that that mm. works. The ICC performance, yes, you know, it, it, it's skewed completely. History is vague, I guess. And the commercial contribution bit is the one that is the, the real one that kind of skews everything in favor of India. And, you know, they, they've given like a 86% kind of share of commercial contributions to India the worrying thing about this, as it was with the with, with the big three plans, original ones, is that there is a complete lack of transparency over how these figures have been worked out, how these percentages. I know that boards have not been given any any calculation of how this has been worked out. In fact, a couple of board members I spoke to were, you know, suspected, and it sounds really obvious saying this, and it sounds like we're couching it massively by saying suspected, but they said that, you know, they, they think that the formulas have just been reverse engineered. That, that BCCI said, well, you know, we want close to a billion dollars from the next four years of ICC deals. Let's see how we can work backwards from that figure to see what we should give everyone else and what we should give, like, you know, to, to associates or whatever. So I think there is a bit of that, unless and until they give us some transparency. I think that's mm-hmm. just going to be the suspicion that they've just made up these numbers working backwards from the total amount that they think they should get. Can I get your thinking on a a couple of justifications that might have some merit to them, just things I was running through in my head Mm. before? One argument might be that the fact that T20 World Cups are so broadly watched and, and they've become such a valuable enterprise, you could argue that that has a lot to do with the IPL and with the investment that the BCCI have put into T20 cricket in order to make it an event that has prestige. You know, mm. it's not that old as an event, but the interest in it would be tied to the rise of T20 cricket around the world. Is there some merit in that? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think the IPL is the sole kind of, you know, uh, it, it was a big driver, I guess, the fact that T20 took off in India. But 
you know, was it kind of in the inevitable? Because, you know, by the time the IPL came out, the, the, the Blast or the original version of the Blast had been running for like four seasons, I think, by then. Pakistan had their own T20 setup going massively successful. The first Faisal Bank Cup that they had. You know, huge crowds uh, in Karachi and Lahore for that. Uh, I think the Big Bash League predates the IPL, uh, the state competition. I think that they were playing state, yeah. They didn't have the BBL as as such. Yeah, so, you know, it, it was there and, and, and the rise of it was going to be inevitable, of course. But, you know, again, I think the, the logic that underpins all this is that somehow the BCCI mm. have contributed to the fact that India is 1.6 billion people and that the economy is doing well. They haven't. They've done nothing about it. And if anything, you can say that their protectionist kind of thinking and strategy actually has held back the game a little bit in India for longer than, you know, maybe it should have done. Maybe it should have exploded like 20, 30 years ago instead of a decade ago, hmm. you know, given the size and the resource that they had available. I guess the other argument is that if part of the job of the ICC is growing cricket and the job of the member boards is to grow cricket in their own countries, India has a billion and a half people to reach so that what they could do with that funding in terms of um, broadening popularity of the game if it needs it and that sort of thing, you don't need as much money if you're New Zealand to reach for five million people as you do if you're um, trying to run the Mm. game in a country as populous as India. Yeah, th- there is a little bit of that argument, but then you also look at, and this goes back to the point that Atherton was making about, you know, these countries being kind of strong and robust enough. Does India need an extra billion dollars for four years when they've got the second richest sports league overall per game in the world? You know, the IPL brings them untold riches into that game. Hmm. They have, they still have to sign a bilateral broadcast deal over the next, I think, four or five months. They'll have a deal which will be you know, just for their home kind of matches. So they're going to get a huge gargantuan amount from that as well. Now, I just feel like, you know, with all the money that comes in from the IPL, with all the money that's going to come in from their broadcast deal, and they're going to have the highest paid broadcast deal in cricket history this time around. There's absolutely no doubt about that just because of the way the market is and you know, the way they've, they've broken up digital and linear now. It's going to be very competitive. Do you need to be the richest board? If, if you became more equitable at ICC level, would that really hurt the finances of the game in India? Um, no. Yeah. It would actually help the other countries grow and actually make the, the entire game much more competitive, make you know, associate-level cricket much more competitive. You know, it's, it's, it just comes down to greed, I reckon. Like, do you, do you really need that much more money mm. when you are the richest country in the world anyway as far as cricket goes? Well, this is what I'm interested in is what can the BCCI spend that money on and what do they want to spend that money on? Because, you know, player wages out of the IPL are at about 6%, aren't they, of the broadcast deal? It's not like, I I mean, Indian national contracts are not that huge. Um, Certainly domestic contracts are, are pretty modest. It's not like you look at American sport where you've got deals in the hundreds of millions for individual players or, you know, top flight football, that kind of thing. Cricket hasn't, still hasn't reached that point. Those controlling the game Mm. get a lot of income inbound but they don't seem to like a lot of it going out what can they do or what are they likely to do do you think with this level of this this cash influx that they'll have over the next decade or so i'm probably sure you know why why do people want to make so much money all the time i like it's kind Mm. of like asking what i mean you know obviously they do have expenses they have big expenses, but they have a lot of money to cover that expense. You know, that, that's not a problem. And I, maybe maybe there's some plan there to kind of uh, protect their players, to continue to protect their players. Because if you have the threat of eventually Saudi money coming in, for example, you know, eventually, and I still think that that's still some way down the line, 
I, I would still think maybe two, three years down the line. But if you have that threat coming in, then maybe you want to kind of buffer yourself against those temptations. And maybe you want to be able to, you know, bring up that line of how much of a percentage of your total earnings do you pay your players. Maybe you want to bump that up a little bit more just mm-hmm. to keep your players happy. But ultimately, I mean, you know, you're kind of making money for the sake of making money. And yeah, sure, they, they require a lot of expense. All these countries do. But I just feel like it's not going to hurt them at all to spread that wealth around a little bit. You know, that that's like just the bottom line in this. This is the most confusing part of the situation to me is that you've got this money coming in for World Cups, for global events. The point of playing World Cups is to have good teams playing good teams, to have competitive cricket. That's what makes it interesting. That's what makes people want to watch. That's what means that the next broadcast rights deal will be bigger than the one before and so on and so forth. The way that the current system is set up, it seems that you will, you might, you have other boards getting more money in absolute terms than they have, but relatively less. How does it help your program of global events if you have more teams getting worse more teams drifting away and a smaller number of teams being competitive I mean cricket's always had a relatively small number of competitive teams but if that is only going to be exacerbated by the current situation it's um it it seems like your classic goose golden egg scenario yeah I I honestly don't think anyone and you know this comes from years of covering kind of cricket administration but I honestly don't think anyone thinks that far uh, into into the future. They don't think about five World Cups from now. Do we want 50 teams playing in the World Cup? You know, do we want the game to have grown that large? They don't. They literally think about their next payday, their next big tournament, and uh, at a stretch, their next four years, which is this next right cycle. And if they, 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 if they can work out that, okay, for the next two World Cups, we're going to get this much money, we're happy with that. It's why, you know, cricket's one of the worst run sports in the world, I think. You know, the, the, this kind of claim to being one of the second best, second most loved, second most watched uh, sports in the world is is absolute BS because, you know, you, you have to be a truly global sport to even try and make that claim and you're not. Right now, there's there's rugby, there's basketball, there's so many sports that are that, that are way more global than you are and that are still like actively trying to become more global than you. And, and cricket continues and it's down to, you know, I mean, you know this, we all know this, it's down to the governance of the game the, and the fact that, the ICC remains a members club. You know, Lord Wolf, bless him, tried to kind of bash some sense into these guys. It just hasn't happened. The cricket still very much self-interested. And now, the, the, I think the worrying thing, kind of where we're heading now, is that the self-interest of a lot of these boards that are not as big as the big three is to invest more and more money into their own leagues. You know, so, so Najam Sethi of the PCB can go around saying, well, we don't need to play the Asia Cup. If we pull out, it doesn't matter. And if we even pull out of the World Cup, it doesn't matter because the PSL makes us money. Well, you know, if that's kind of the way the game is going, fine. Uh, you know, I, I may not be a fan of it then, but if that's the way the game is going, then come out and say it. That, you know, this is, we, we want to just make international cricket kind of like international football and just base it around the events. Mm-hmm. But we want to really concentrate on our leagues. Uh, and that's where we want to go. If, you know, if that's the way they want to do it, then then that's fine. That's kind of how they're doing it. Uh, you're not growing the game. Uh, the amount of money given to the associates this time around, again, in absolute terms is more, but as a percentage, I think it's going to go down. You know, we have to wait for net and gross figures of this of the annual earnings and stuff to really be sure, but I suspect the associates money is going to go down. Uh, and more importantly, there's, you know, you've taken away stuff like the World Cup ODI Super League. You've over the years, kind of chiseled away at the associate program from the tournaments that they have and the and the access that they have to the to the to the higher level of the game. 
what you're really saying without saying it is that you don't want this game to grow. You want it to remain, you want it to remain within the hands of, you know, nine, ten members, really, because we're not, I don't think we're at a stage where we count Afghanistan and Ireland, despite having full membership status. I don't think they're being treated as full members. Uh, you don't count them as that. Zimbabwe have long not been a full member. So you're basically saying that we want to maintain it within nine games, nine teams. And out of those nine, six of those countries are trying frantically to get their own T20 leagues up and running and to make them enough money to make sure that actually the nine teams that you play against don't really matter anymore. It does seem like there's still a hunger for those global events within India and within the BCCI. There's still interest. They still want to uh, They want to win global silverware. They want the reflected glory of that and all of the rest of it. Do you think it's a matter of just pairing back the international calendar until it is effectively just these events as showpiece events and you don't need to bother about going and playing bilateral tours and that sort of thing? I think so. I think it's going to, you know, nobody's going to come out right and say it from cricket administration and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think eventually we will see over the next maybe two FTPs that bilaterals are just going to slip away because, you know, even like the whole, the FTP for for this time around, for this cycle, which, you know, they, they worked very hard over, supposedly <laughs> seems very random still. But the FTP for the cycle had more ICC events. You know, so the ICC management are kind of like, well, we want more events in there. So they're actually competing against themselves. They're competing against bilateral cricket. You know, as much as the ICC management mm. say that, oh, there's so many T20 leagues that have come up and, you know, that, that's comp- that's competing with international bilateral cricket. Well, no, you guys put in two more, two or, you know, however many more ICC events in this cycle, that's actually taking up the space of bilateral cricket as well. And FICA, bless them, have been saying this for years and years now, is that, you know, you guys need to sit down and have a serious rationalization of what this calendar is going to look like. I think Heath Mills, in a piece we did a while ago when when there was news about the, you know, IPL offering year-round contracts for, for English cricketers and stuff, I think Heath Mills made a lot of sense when he said that, look, you know, we've gone past beyond the point where we can kind of save international cricket. What we should do is preserve what we have of it and give international cricket windows now. So, you know, you have leagues all year round, you have ICC events all year round as well. And that's still, that's a lot of cricket anyway. But find some windows where you can play a little bit of international cricket, kind of like how the international football game does it. And that's basically, I think, the best you can kind of hope for, uh, hope for out of this. So, you know, that calendar is just going to, it's, the year doesn't get any longer than 365 days. I mean, you know, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's simple science. It's not like fake news or anything. I'm not making this up. You can't get longer than that. And so, you know, they're going to have to work out how they're going to do it. And yeah, like you say, I think it's going to come down to just international events, ICC events, and a lot, a lot of leagues. Could a factor also be that um, in terms of India wanting, or the BCCI really wanting to gird its position as the dominant player in the game, could it also partly be to do with the fact that they're not yet a dominant force on the field. Like it's been interesting for a while now that that the BCCI are far and away the biggest cricket mm. body in the game. They can effectively, as with this, get the ICC to run with whatever it is that, that they think should happen. But that hasn't been reflected on the field. I'm, I'm just trying to think of how many events we've had since 2011, since they won the 50-over World Cup. There would have been four T20 World Cups, yeah. a couple of 50-over World Cups, a Champions Trophy, a World Test Championship final that they haven't won any of. They won just the so Champions Trophy, right? Ha- the 2013 Champions Trophy is the only thing yeah, that they've won. the 2013 yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. That's right, and lost the final in 17. So they're not yet a team that... Or, or an administration, I suppose, that's had the opportunity to get bored of winning, you know, to be to to have ruled the world on the field for twenty years and started thinking, well, this is starting to feel a little bit hollow. I'm not sure if if they would 
reach that position, mm. but that might be the point where you have the crisis of the, the existential crisis that says, well, we need other teams to be more competitive. But because that hasn't happened yet, maybe there's still that that drive to dominance now that could be ameliorated later, you know, if they win everything for a decade or two. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, it, it, the, like you say, they haven't, you know, they haven't dominated like they should. Any other sport, if you had this kind of inequality in resource and, and finance and, and, you know, talent pool and depth and stuff, that team would surely be like, you know, the number one team forever. It's like EPL cycles, like Man City now in the English Premier League, you know, they've, they're effectively going to win, I think, their fifth out of the last six seasons, their titles. And, you know, that's because they are state-run, they have all the resources, they have the best manager in the world, they have, like, the greatest striker the world has ever seen and stuff. So, you know, once they... And, but they don't get bored. They keep doing it. And I think there is that element that even if the BCCI do make India, like, the most dominant team in, in world cricket, I think that's kind of self, self-perpetuating. So it just keeps going and you keep doing it because new generations come upon and they want to stamp their authority and it, and it kind of keeps rolling over and rolling over and rolling over. I think, you know, when... Like, if they, if they win the WTC final this year, that'll be a big moment for them. That'll be, like, a big thing. And, you know, to, to be completely fair to the BCCI, they have paid attention to test cricket. They've, they've kind of treated it with the respect that, you know, the game thinks that it should get. I, th- I think they've done that over the years. They're not the board. They're not the board who are going to, as, as you know, we're working on a couple of stories where now a few of the smaller boards are, are kind of rejigging their World Test Championship schedule to fit in limited overs games and their own leagues and stuff. That, that's going to happen. That's going to happen more and more, I think, over the mm-hmm. next year. So I think that, you know, the BCCI, they get to that stage where they win the World Test Championship and they win a World Cup, say. You know, they, they could be World Test Champions and World ODI Champions at the end of this year. It's not, it's not out of the question. I don't think them doing that over and over again is necessarily going to make them bored from it because that's, you know, it's mm. kind of the nature of sport as well that you just keep going as a dynasty. That's the whole point. You just keep going and going and going until then you don't. And then you start working again to keep going again. So, we, you know, we, we may have, we may come into a cycle where like the BCCI in India are not as dominant as we are kind of thinking they should be soon. Uh, and then they'll just go through the whole thing again. Well, they'll be like, well, we make the most money and we bring the biggest money to the game. So we should have the most money. Mm-hmm. And therefore we get into that cycle again. But hopefully we'll be long gone, both of us, by then. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. What's the story with the um, the pot of emergency money? There's a possibility that there'll be a, a reserve fund set aside that might take out some of the funding over the next four years. I'm not really sure, to be honest. We tried to kind of work out what that was, but everyone's been so kind of opaque about this that we haven't really figured out. It could be something... I don't, I don't want to say that it's a test fund because I'm just guessing, but maybe it's something like the test fund that, that the big three tried to put in, if you remember, for countries that were struggling to kind of keep this credit float, it might just be them accounting for the variances in what their earnings end up being. Because, you know, one of, one of the problems with the last right cycle, which never really came out that much, was that they were predicting revenues over eight years of up to 3.1 billion back then. And they actually ended up with maybe like 2.2, 2.3 billion ultimately. So they had, you know, they were hit. And a lot of boards were complaining about this, that, you know, what we thought we were going to get, we actually didn't because... We didn't earn that much money, which says something about... So, like, the, the 2019 World Cup in England was, I know, like, disappointing commercially for, for the ICC in that it did not make as much money as they thought they, uh, it should have done. And India is the, the tournament where they always make, like, one and a half to two times what other tournaments in other venues make. So, you know, that's why they want to have tournaments in India all the time. And so I, I think that that amount, that emergency fund 
may be something to do with ICC costs. It may be something to do with like a downfall in earnings and projected earnings, or it may be some money that they set aside for for test cricket separately. You know, we'll find out more, I think, now that they start working towards the model being finalized. I think we'll start finding out more. And as <laughs> as more boards want to object a little bit more, they'll start speaking to us. And I think we'll get more of an idea of what's actually going on. Right. Yeah, I was wondering in terms of this story coming out, whether it's India getting the story out in order to lay the groundwork to make sure that the thing gets through, or other boards getting the story out in order to lay the groundwork to start doing some objecting and try to scrape back half a percent here or there. Well, you know, I'm not going to obviously go into our sources and stuff, but sure. you do know that the, the initial batch of stories on this, and you'll you'll remember this, came out from a lot of Indian publications and the Press Trust of India, the PTI did a story on uh, the BCCI wanting 37% uh, of the share. And then a few other newspapers also did similar stories. So I, I think it was kind of leaked from the BCCI initially. Uh, but myself and Nagaraj had been working, you know, for months pretty much on and off, like just chasing up people and, and banging that door and banging that door and just being just being annoying little shits, you know, just being irritating, annoying yeah. little shits. And finally kind of broke through. That's the job. That's the job, right? That's the nature. That's the boring nature of the job. Finally broke through. Uh, Nagaraj, to his credit, got, you know, got confirmation of the figures and, 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 and stuff like that. But we had been building for a while. And I think, yes, you know, now that they're getting closer to that uh, that time when they need to sign off on it. I think boards are now saying that, okay, look, you know, we need to we need to haggle, we need to bargain a little bit, and let's get some numbers out there and see see what happens. And from those conversations you're having, you think even if the numbers shift a little bit, in essence, it's a done deal. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think it's gonna it's gonna change that much. Like I said, you know, the amounts that boards are getting now per year, like you know, PCB is getting close to thirty five million dollars per year from from the ICC, and they were getting sixteen over the last cycle, right? Uh, the ECB is getting 41.33. Sri Lanka is getting 27 million. West Indies is getting 27 million. Even Zimbabwe and Afghanistan are getting over like near about 17 million a year. You know, for a lot of these boards, that's a lot of money. That's that's how they kind of survive. And if they can supplement that with a successful league, then, you know, they don't need to think 10 years in the future. They're like, yeah, we're making money right now. We don't need to give a shit about the game. The game will look after itself <laughs> or, or something along those lines. Yep. Yeah, well, when when you have money, you always want more of it. That seems to be, um, seems to be the point. If, if you've watched Succession, you know what it's all about. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, it's always uh, very cheerful <laughs> to catch up with you on these I terms. I hate to be the mongrel of doom <laughs> continually. But, but, yes. but uh, I, you know, I think what else can we say? There are so many stories around this that we've been monitoring over the last few years and, and they all are trending in the one direction. In the one direction, unfortunately, yes. We'll keep our eye on it um, and, and uh, well, maybe it will go slightly differently than expected, but uh, let's not let's not get too invested in that idea. Osman Samiuddin, thanks yeah. so, so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me, guys. It was great. Hi, my name's Kate Cross and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thanks to Osman Samiuddin for taking the time to speak to us on the show. And Adam, not exactly a, a cheerful conversation in the end, but I suppose it reflects a lot of things that we've been talking about over the last few months particularly, but I guess over the last seven or eight years that we've been doing this show as well, as we've heard in some of the very early episodes that we've reposted just recently. Mm. Um, a lot of this has been in train, well, certainly since the Big Three takeover that was then wound back and and now this is, you know, the Big Three 2 Judgment Day. 
Yeah, it's a. I don't want to say I told you so, but there, there is a bit of that, isn't there? Listening to the archive app that you, you refer to there, there's a, a mention of the uh, the original World Test Championship that hit the fence in 2013, and the reason that didn't proceed, well, for a number of reasons, but part of it was the the rise of the big three, and Osmond broke that story way back when in in 2014, and as he put in his pieces analysis piece the other day, well, really now we're, we've got the big one, don't we, with India, mm. and we have been talking about this in the last. Specifically the last 12 months, it felt like there was a week in July where the South African T20 competition and the UAE T20 competition both had all of their teams bought by IPL owners effectively. There might be one or two that weren't, but the, the guts of it was it was they were mini IPLs. Yeah. And this is the corollary of that IPL power in a way, this distribution of funding, because they're in a position with maximum leverage to do as they see fit at the negotiating table to the extent that it exists. So I found that part of the interview interesting where Osman spoke about reverse engineering in as far as the BCCI wanting X and finding a Mm. formula that that meets that criteria and the weighting palaver as well. I mean, the idea that your success is grandfathered and graduated, I like, if you like, into what you therefore get in the next round when all of the tournaments, mm. the, the legacy of the big three era has been all of the tournaments being held in in the big three countries so far. It, it does make it pretty hard if you're not in that grouping. You're already at a disadvantage and thus you're already yeah. um, playing. Um, you, you're well behind the game as far as the new funding distribution model. Well, it's like all of the university spots going to the students with the highest marks who are mostly the ones who come out of the most expensive schools because those are the <laughs> schools that provide them with the support to get the highest marks. You know, it becomes just a, a, a circular entrenchment of privilege where the more you have, the more you have. And I know that, you know, there's a certain perception out there that you and I on this show are just very automatically down on the BCCI, down on the IPL, that, that it's an anti-India kind of bent. It's not about India per se. It's about wealth and it's about power. And uh, our job is to criticise and analyse those who are in power because that's how this caper works, right? That's that's what it's entirely about. That's where the wealth and the power is. So if there, if if you think that there's an undue focus from us on India or on the BCCI specifically, two two things to say here: the BCCI is not India. Criticizing the board that controls cricket in India is not criticizing the country of India. Those are not the same thing, and the BCCI is the wealthiest and most influential player in cricket at the moment. So naturally that's where the attention goes when those who are administering and running the game are doing so for their own benefit. It's, a, as we talked about with Osman, a, a, a function of wealth is that people want to aggregate more wealth. It just becomes a, a constantly repeating cycle. And so that is the cycle that we're seeing playing out here where because we're bigger and we're wealthier, say the BCCI, we deserve more of the spoils. We deserve to take home more. In fact, we're magnanimous for not asking for more than we actually are getting, you know, because we're being very gracious in in only asking for a shade under 40% of the takings, even though that board has its own domestic league that's making billions and its own bilateral domestic rights that are also making billions. If you were to sum up the, uh, the ethos of this show, it'd be growing the game. You want to see the game 
grown in parts of the world that it hasn't had the chance to flourish historically. And that includes the women's game, which is why we have such a big emphasis on that. And the fact that the uh, overall percentage of money that's likely to funnel to associate nations drops in this new arrangement, even if it might be more in whole terms. Now, that, that's the tricky bit here, isn't it? That, that countries will receive more money. It's just a lesser percentage relative to what they should get, owing to the fact that India's percentage goes up. Sure. And the growing the game piece, and there's a really nice article that well, I say nice article, well written, but not nice in, in its content from Mike Atherton in the Times uh, yesterday, where he begins referring to the philosophy of enlightened self-interest and the, the idea that you can act in your own interest whilst serving the interest of others all at the same time, like rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. And this is the way this could work. If, if uh, the BCCI's starting point was that we want to grow the game, we want to make the game as strong as it can, it could be to their advantage because there is a scenario and it's not sort of a wild dystopian one where India don't have many countries to play anymore owing to the fact that the hegemonic nature of the IPL and, and we've had a conversation yesterday about players and, and contracts and how that might play out into the future where they are, they are wedded to a franchise more than they are to a, a national board which will compromise their ability to play international cricket and certainly compromise the strength of some international sides without the same financial clout. Well, this is a balancing mechanism that could be used more, uh, more forcefully to give other countries, you know, the small seven, as um, Neil Manthorpe calls them, greater clout to retain players and so on. But that's not the starting point from the BCCI. Their starting point is let's just get as big and bold and rich as we can and mm. let the rest sort themselves out. So that, that doesn't qualify as enlightened self-interest, to use the Atherton term. It's, uh, uh, it's the very opposite. So I've, I've been pondering this stuff a lot, especially the last few weeks um, as, as it's really come to a head. And I'm coming to the conclusion that the, the thing that we've been talking about, about cricket shifting away from international or bilateral cricket and becoming more about leagues and so on, that's not necessarily terrible. That's just different. You know, people have talked about comparing it to international football and so on. I mean, international football is extremely strong and they just don't play it as much or as often because everything's done around club football. Now, maybe that's not terrible. Maybe we just don't like that because we've grown up with something different and so we're naturally more inclined to hang on to the the kind of thing, the way that we thought the world should be, right? We can be the, the younger version of old men yelling at clouds with all of this <laughs> stuff. Maybe that's fine. Maybe cricket changes. Maybe we talked a lot, we, we talked for decades about dull bilaterals that didn't mean anything and all the rest of it. Maybe losing that strand of cricket doesn't matter. Maybe all of that's fine. But you still reach a position where, even if that is the case, there will be international tournaments held. They'll be held frequently because they're generating a lot of cash. So why would uh, anybody involved at the ICC want to reduce those tournaments when they're generating so much money to begin with? Even if it is only those tournaments, you still need competitive teams to play in those tournaments. You still need enough interest. You still need it to be not just the same three or four contenders. I mean... To an extent, it's frankly miraculous that there has been interest retained in Cricket World Cups over the years when there have been so few contenders. There, there are mm. no more contenders for the title in realistic terms now than there were in the 1970s when it started out. So if, if things are going to get less competitive, if, if you're, if you're going to have fewer and fewer countries who, who might be able to contend, I mean, look, realistically at any World Cup we go into at the moment, there are maybe five maybe five teams who are in any sort of shape to actually challenge for that 
50 over title. Now, maybe the 50 over World Cup won't exist in a few years and it'll all be T20 World Cups, who knows? But even so, even if that is going to be the case, growing your competitors has to be in the interests of the countries who are standing to make bigger bank from these broadcast rights deals. Now, if, if India want to go on having a big slice of the cake into the future, then it would just be sensible, prudent future investment to say, all right, rather than 40%, let's take 20, let's take 15, and let's put all of the rest of that into developing other countries to create competitive teams, to create competitive tension, and to have a, a global cricket event sort of ecosystem, if you want to use that terrible word, that that actually improves, that actually strengthens, broadens, deepens, that does grow the game in a way that's beneficial for everybody. It's the kind of thing that we want to see, but it's also the kind of thing that would actually boost the, the earning capacity of everybody involved in those World Cups and would boost the interest around the world because more countries would be involved. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it future-proofs the international game by having a, a wider distribution of funding, no doubt. And yeah, you've got to remember that countries will have more in, in whole terms, so it'll be difficult to have a, a, a great degree of dissent. If you're Ireland, for example, we had the Ireland episode last week, they will have more money in this next window than they yep. had in the previous window. They will be able to do more. It's just what they could have done if they had a higher percentage and the associate nations more, more broadly. And look, you're right that we're moving to a model where in white ball cricket, um, tournament play dominates all and that might become a more streamlined world. My resistance to that is that we kind of just cracked the code with one day cricket with the World Cup Super League. We, we After all of these years of what, as you described, what felt like increasingly meaningless bilateral one-day series, we finally found a way for them to have some relevance to a far more democratic World Cup qualifying structure where eight teams automatically qualify. There's scope for two more in this cycle through the qualification tournament that's coming in July, which will be an absolute belter and must-see and must TV, you know. So it's not just a World Cup that has relevance from a broadcasting perspective. It, it becomes the play-in tournament, which is held a few months before. And yes, the World Cup should be 14 teams and it will be from 2027 onwards. And, and that does change the configuration of any World Cup Super League. But if more money's invested in associate nations, maybe there are 20 sides that can realistically make the final 14 rather than sort of 16 teams vying for 10 spots at the moment, if you, if you know what I'm trying to say. There's a, there's a, a world where that becomes more um, more competitive and, and thus more financially lucrative and, and grows the game all at the same time through that World Cup Super League and that now hits the fence. So that's really sad because the bilateral competition that will exist for countries that aren't full members will will fall off a cliff. That seems almost inevitable. Even even for full members who who aren't as uh, aren't as sexy. Like I know Andy Balburnie was quite upbeat about the types of fixtures they'll still get Ireland post Super League. I'm 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 more on the downside of that. I think the the FTP is ambitious at best. And look, the proximity to England means they'll have countries swinging by, but that can't be the whole thing, right? The whole rationale for your existence can't be, well, we're next to England, therefore we'll get some mm. um, support from countries on the way in or on the way out. So there's that. And the other thing is that bilateral cricket isn't just white ball cricket played in one day. Bilateral cricket is test cricket. And mm. if test cricket 
doesn't have the room to be played around the year. You can't have test cricket windows. I heard this mooted in an interview last week that there might be like little windows through the year, like majors mm. with golf and tennis, where you come together and play international cricket. Well, as we know, if you want to play a test series of any substance, in other words, more than two fixtures, it takes three, four, five, six weeks, six weeks in the case of the Ashes, is the minimum you could have. And now baked into the FTP, a five-match series between the big three as we go through in perpetuity. So you can't kind of just have a two-week window and, and, and kind of get all your international cricket out of the way as they do with football with international weekends and they're back to playing for their clubs the weekend after. That will never work because test cricket, by its very nature, takes longer. So they might be able to do something like that with white ball cricket and we end up in a world where there's very little bilateral T20 and 50 over stuff, which would be sad, but I think that's realistic post-World Cup Super League. But I, I can't see how it's ever viable in Test cricket. The natural extension is that Test cricket will just plummet in terms of the number of matches that are played per year. Yeah, and unless it becomes literally a, a lobby-in and play one match as a sort of ceremonial thing, as, as a symbolic thing. But then, of course, you you don't have any meaningful preparation for that. The performances in, in that match don't mean a lot. I mean, this has always been the issue with touring teams is that the visiting team generally finds it much harder to compete unless they are you know a, a genuinely great side up against an opposition with some weaknesses you often see usually see visiting teams take a while to actually hit their stride in the country that they're visiting and, um, and then wish they'd had more preparation so it would undermine the quality of the product in a way it's analogous to what we've spoken about with women's test cricket all the time where because there's no first class system domestically for women's cricket because they don't get to play multi-day matches red ball matches then they get thrown into a test match and then judged for not hitting the standard mm. that people expect of test match cricket mm. you know in terms of fast scoring or, or incisive bowling or whatever else it might be. You just end up with the same situation, men's or women's. I'm interested in this idea of dissent. There have been reports in the last couple of days that Pakistan won a greater percentage than, what, than what's been reported, fair enough. I'm sure a lot of countries, all countries, would, would feel that way. But the extent to which they have any ability to influence these decisions. So, you know, we, we speak of when it was the big three, those three countries working in concert, to the disadvantage of others, but certainly to the advantage of, of those three and allocating all the tournaments to each other and, and that kind of thing. Spoke to Mike Baird quite a bit when we were in India, some of it on record when interviewing him as part of the, the SEM broadcast. And he, he talks like a guy who's ready to be a collaborator and, and, and work with India, but also to stand up for Australia's interests as required. Well, I wonder what he will do in a situation like this. Will he mm. and CA acquiesce and go, well, we're getting more money and more money's more money and, oh, well, like it's too hard to have this fight or will they lay a, a marker here? Is there any point in them laying a marker? Or if they don't, in the case of England and Australia, do something uh, meaningful in response to this, does this just pave the way mm. to the BCCI and by extension the ICC, given the way that those two structures are, are linked at the moment, get the green light to do really as they see fit with everything else? Is this a bit of a test, a, st a, a, test, a strength test, if you like, for for India, mm. and if they can get away with this without it causing too many repercussions across the other full member nations, then then this will be an emblem of them being able to really do whatever they want. And the other side of it is the ridiculous fandom around this. Like I say, I mean, this, this doesn't mean anything, by the way, but I saw some responses to the Pakistani claim and, and it immediately goes back into the sewer, all the nationalistic bullshit that goes hand in hand with much of this, which was 
something we detected during the Border Gavaskar series earlier this year, this idea that, well, we, Indian cricket, had to be subservient to the Anglo duopoly of Australia and England for the first 100 years of our existence in in an international context, not 100 years, but um, for multiple decades after joining as a full member, if you like, and playing test cricket. Well, it's our turn to sort of rub your noses in it. I'm not saying administrators say that, but a lot of fans feel that way, that that everyone should... um, Mm should be kissing the ring now that India is where the financial heft of cricket lies. Yeah. And as I said, hence our focus being there. Wealth is power. Power corrupts. Wealth corrupts. Yep. Um, there are there are all of these ways that we would like to see a, a better world in a whole range of ways uh, and specifically in this area, a better world for cricket. But the fundamental driver of having wealth, having power, having privilege is that you want more of it. Whoever has it wants more. And so so those at the top at the moment are looking to just pile in as much as they can. So that is the situation, I suppose. We'll, um, we'll be watching how it all unfolds and um, reporting back on it week to week on the show as we go along because that's, that's the position that we're in. Yeah, like what choice is there? I, I, had a, um, I had a note from a friend the other week saying, gee, sometimes your podcasts recently are quite deflating, like hearing about it. But yeah, I, I don't really know what the alternative is. We could also um, mm. sort of close our eyes and look the other way and just talk about Steve Smith's sure. cover drive. I mean, we could do that. Uh, and we do. Like, it's not as though we don't talk about Steve Smith's cover drive. We do all of that and we talk about the game mm. itself a lot. But it, it, we'd be doing everyone a disservice if we just backed away. We have to keep talking about this. We want other people to talk about this more. And, and I reckon there has been a tipping point, Jeff, in the last in the last month where this has cut through. It's not just like people like you and me who are deeply invested in the politics of cricket who are getting exercised by this. It's, it's I, I think, more casual fans or, or fans who don't usually pay attention to the politics and they think of cricket as an escape. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, as, a, as someone coming through as a kid, you love the game, not because of the off-field stuff, you love it because of the 22 yards in the middle. But I reckon yeah. a lot of people have now twigged that the 22 yards in the middle is going to look very, very different uh, if things keep going in the direction that they are at the moment off the field. And if that's where you would rather us focus, if that's what you want to do is watch the cricket, it's all affected by everything else. Imagine how good watching the cricket would be if the funding models were worked out. Imagine if in 20 years Ireland is coming out to Australia for a three-test series and being competitive, you know. Mm. Imagine if Nepal's coming to play. Imagine if Papua New Guinea is is having a head-to-head with Australia in a, in a one-day series in the top end. Like these, this is the way that it could be if there was an appetite at the very top where the checkbook is controlled to try to make it that way. But at the moment, that's not the case. So this has been the final word. If you want to help us keep doing what we do in lieu of a massive check coming in from BCCI, um, you can go to patron.com slash the final word. We do it ourselves. We, we, we're, a, we're a crowd-supported enterprise. So if you want to be part of our audience that helps get the show on the park several times a week, then hop along to there and get involved. You can join the Discord page from there where a lot of these conversations continue through the course of the week and, and fun stuff too, not just cricket politics, but lots of 
wonderful people, hundreds of lovely people who have decided that they don't like Twitter very much. They don't like Facebook groups very much. They like talking about cricket on the Final Word Discord page and we love them for it. Uh, There is a Friday morning catch up between our patrons now on Discord where you can be part of a a virtual chat room and talk about the the game. And that happens, I think it's eight o'clock in the morning UK time, which is Friday afternoon, Australia time, something like that. I'm going to jump on this Mm -hmm. week on the talk function there on Discord. And yes, the, um, the live shows that we'll do through the course of 2023 and all the other activities uh, with the final word including the Edinburgh half marathon and marathon which is 11 days from recording I'm going to go for a long run this morning Jeff to continue my preparation and if you want to contribute to that financially we'd love you for it and the link is in the show notes we're trying to raise 5,000 pounds for the mighty Lord's Taverners well I've done 21 k's this month um, three k's <laughs> at a time so 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 there's my doing your marathon. bit I love it <laughs> All right, this has been The Final Word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, thanks to our guest, Osman Samiuddin, and we'll be back with Storytime on the weekend, our cricket history show. Um, believe me, things were not always better way back when. <laughs> not, not everything that came before today was better. Some people will tell you it was. They're not necessarily right. Um, we'll see you next time. Bye. I had to go away.